Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. On this episode of the Front Office Podcast, Sean and I talk more NBA playoff in the bubble. We also talk some of our wish lists for the upcoming offseason and free agency and some more NBA mock draft talk. So let's get going. who you know have the appropriate NBA skill sets right now to come in and and just perform. Right. I think it's Obi's partner in crime, Sean Gantworker, who sounds like he's been on a cross-country drive. Sean, how you doing today, buddy? Uh, I'm, I'm recharging. Uh, went back to uh, Connecticut about two or three weeks ago to start uh, packing up the, the childhood home so my parents can begin the long exodus to the West. Uh, basically sold half the house on Facebook Marketplace. Turns out I'm very good at taking large financial losses on stuff we paid for, but still felt good. And then uh, my sister and I drove cross-country, the beautiful Pennsylvania highways that never end, soon followed by the beautiful Oklahoma highways that also never end. Uh, so four days later, I'm, uh, I finally made it back to beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona. So I've made the drive from New York City to Atlanta, and I went. I had to go through Pittsburgh or most of Pennsylvania. Um, so I understand those freeways, but I took my journey down to through the West Virginia, Kentucky-ish almost areas, and yeah, I, I, I feel your pain. But then I've also driven from Atlanta to the West Coast, so I understand. What is that? Twenty down there? Or is that ten? Twenty? Yeah, some, it's it's all boring. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, I mean, my my biggest problem is there's like no rhyme or reason for any of these speed limits. <laughs> so you'll be going like seventy, and then a quarter mile later it'll be fifty, and then a quarter mile after that it'll be seventy, and it's just so that you can try to get pulled over and get, give some revenue to the beautiful state you're driving in. So uh, it's all it's all a racket, I tell you. I, I tell you, man. Well, good to be. I'm um, glad you made it safe to you and the family. I'm 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 sure that that your parents and are happy to be back with you as well so um glad you made it back home man thank you thank you uh did miami totally drop the ball by not closing out boston and and giving them like some life in their battery i mean i think so Uh, like they're not boston's boston's not a bunch of chumps you know (laughs) right they're a well-coached a deep team if you have them on the ropes you take them down and unfortunately i think what we're seeing actually frankly in the last three games or so is miami kind of regressing to the mean a little bit Mm. i think they're playing with house money with the pacers and then with the bucks they just the bucks didn't know it hit them and I think the the Heat maintained that level of consistency for those first two games against the Celtics, and now they are kind of reverting to what they are, which is a good young team that's prone to make mistakes, and when their shot isn't falling, it just takes them out of the game. You know, I'm going to kind of piggyback on that. I think Boston playing Philly was really no challenge. Not at all. And then they got the defending champs in Toronto, and I think that kind of wore them out a little bit. And th- 
going into the next round with Miami. I just think they got two quick uppercuts, and it took them a minute to recover. Plus, I think they're a very good team in terms of adjustments. Um, that's really what Brad Stevens is best known for. Like, right. yeah, they got rocked by the Heat those first few games, but it didn't take them particularly long to figure out how to stop getting Kemba trapped with these double teams, how to open up the offense to really run it through less through actually Marcus Smart, who's kind of taking a bit of a backseat, still very, very important, but not as important as he was to start the season Mm -hmm. and figuring out that Jalen Brown is really a guy that the heat can't account for. In addition to that, they are doing a great job of exploiting whatever's going on with Bam and his wrist. And those minutes that Enos Cantor and Daniel Theus got up, they were just clobbering the heat which you simply can't can't allow to happen you know i also noticed that the games in which gordon hayward has come back in um those they have been like highly contested games and and maybe we were right about the impact of a gordon hayward because they're the the celtics seem to um got have created a handle on miami just a little bit i I'm just still a little worried about boston but i'm not sure what the next game next game is of course, the most important game. I mean, absolutely. And like you mentioned, I mean, even, I mean, Hayward's shot isn't quite falling. Right. But he's still active. He's still another long body that the Heat have to account for. And I think that the bench rotation being so short for the Heat is kind of catching up to them. Right. I think Solomon Hill gave them some very good minutes last night, but it couldn't have been more than 10 I think the fact that Kendrick Nunn is is now a DNP is not even in the rotation at all. And that's not Spolstra's fault, kind of, because of how the bubble began and Nunn just not showing up in shape and having a lot of off-the-court stuff. But what we're finding now is Celtics are just simply deeper. So let's say the the Heat's shot aren't falling to start the game. They have to put Harrow and Duncan Robinson on the bench. I mean... Who's compensating for those weaknesses? And then when the Celtics shot aren't falling, well, they're going to send you six different looks that can go big, that can go small. And I do believe the Heat's shooting is going to improve. I absolutely believe it will. And frankly, I wouldn't be shocked if we see another, you know, uh, 112, 106 Heat game to close out the series. But they are finding themselves kind of where we thought they would be to start the season. A nice young team that has a couple holes to fill before they're uh, willing to make the next step. But uh, like we said, they're playing with house money and they're, they're given as good as they get. You know, when I look at Boston's bench, Andre Iguodala is, looks like he showed his age last game. And the, the poor guy's a walking corpse. Yeah. Like, he's still active, but <laughs> right. he it's, can't fill up the categories they need him to fill up anymore. I, I, I he, he attempted a pass that just went to, to no one and at a pivotal time in the fourth quarter. And he just kind of walked back with that smile that Iggy has. Like, I've won rings. Hey, I'm just here for the support. <laughs> you know? Um, and, and I know that's not his his game, but his age really showed up. You know, you're not getting anything from Derrick Jones Jr., who um, I, I don't even think he played yesterday, uh, yesterday. And if he did, he didn't make any impact at all. Exactly, exactly. And I think um, Jason Tatum has found whatever it is that he was going through. Um, he, he found it that first half of the other game where he didn't score and scored 25 in the second half and moving on to the next game, he's just continuing to go. I, I think Gordon Hayward being there and I think he put up about 10 points off the bench, you know, probably paid about, played about 28, 30 minutes, something like that. That's effective. 
It's absolutely effective. I mean, any time that you can bench one of these one of these guys, the Browns, the Tatum's, and still get even a modicum of production is a win. Robert, like, Robert Williams didn't play be, though, did he? I mean, exactly right. Robert Williams didn't play. Like uh, Brad Wanamaker and Andrew Wiggins are thinking right now. But <laughs> Goran has to kind of, you know pick up for where those other guys are kind of slacking off to still help those youngins, you know, stay in the playoff like mind frame. Exactly. I just feel like if you're the Celtics, though, and you enter into the playoffs and you say, okay, Goran Dragic is going to be playing 36 minutes a night and taking an average of 16 shots per game, that's kind of a win, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Unless he's really feeling himself. That's kind of what you want, because that yeah. means Duncan Robinson's not shooting. Yeah. That means Tyler Harrow's not playing making. That means Kelly Olenek has disappeared, and right. he played four minutes last night. Like, I don't even know what's happening there. Yeah. Um, but you have a Heat team that is playing legitimately a seven-man rotation while doling out ten random minutes a night to Solomon Hill, Kelly Olenek, and Derek Jones. Oh, oh. And, well, it's, and the Celtics are, are feeling it. Like, yeah, they, they are, are taking advantage of this weakness. And Spolster's brilliant. He'll probably figure out a way to accommodate the, the starting five and maybe give them a little blow, maybe change up when they play together. But it's it's going to be a weakness that is going to catch up to the Heat at some point. But with any luck, you know, that catches up to them after the NBA Finals. Exactly. Like, who knows? These teams are neck and neck. It's a great series. How... Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. What are they thinking right now? I mean, right? I mean, think about think of, they hopefully they're evaluating themselves, right? I thought about this last night and I said, "Okay, they were saying that the mean old guy and Jimmy Butler was just asking too much of them." Todd Gibson, I don't think had an a, a issue with Jimmy Butler. Uh Jeff Teague, I don't think had an issue with Jimmy Butler. The two young guys pretty much did. And now Jimmy's going to a new team with Three young guys, Bam, Tyler, and Duncan, and they're pretty much like loving the role of big mean brother. <laughs> I mean, Jimmy Butler has that Jordan mentality. I'm not making a direct comparison. Obviously, right, right. their games are completely different. Right. But what did Michael Jordan say during the end of, I believe, episode three of The Last Dance when he welled up? He said, I never asked my teammates for anything out of them that I didn't ask for myself. Right. And I think Jimmy Butler honors that. Right. Butler is going to bust his butt up the floor for about 38 minutes a night. He's going to drive when he needs to drive. He's going to facilitate when he needs to facilitate. And he is going to expect a lot from you. We've seen, obviously, those those Timberwolves kids crack. Yeah. We saw the 76ers kids yeah. crack. Yeah. We saw the Bulls management crack. Right. Like. Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo loved that out of him. That's part of the reason why Wade poached Butler to Miami. Like, he saw something that would work in that Matt Riley system, played with the Bulls for a year, bounced and said, hey, guess what, Jimmy? I got a good, good thing going over here. Yeah. Um, so uh, hopefully there's a certain level of shame that Carl Anthony Towns <laughs> and those guys, and this sounds mean, but recognize in, in themselves that they did not put in the effort that a guy who's a better player than them, a guy who was picked out of Marquette with the 30th round pick. We're not right. talking a lottery guy. Right. We're talking a guy who worked beyond the, behind the wall dang for three years with, for 12 to 15 minutes a night before he coached himself up into being a 1A option on a, on a championship contending team. 
So and the Timberwolves aren't sniffing that, you know. So 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 think about it like this. Okay, so Jimmy Butler's the thirtieth pick. You know, Tyler Harrell's what thirteenth pick. Uh, Bam's probably like the thirteenth pick. Duncan didn't even get drafted. So now, what what do they have differently from Towns and Wiggins? They were both number one picks. So they probably thought to themselves, Jimmy, you you you, you we lottery. You you can't. Like, touch us. Maybe the same thing with Embiid and, and Ben Simmons, even though Embiid was pro-Jimmy. You know, it, it could be where these lottery picks are picked that kind of draws their humility in, you know, listening to someone of, of Jimmy's mind, you know, frame. I mean, I, I think so, too. I think when you evaluate yourself against someone on paper, you see stuff like where I'm picked, where I was hyped coming out of school, Frankly, the fact that I appear to be a better shooter, like Andrew Wiggins, no doubt about it, empty gym, probably outscoring Jimmy Butler. Oh, yeah. But it's every other facet of the game that Jimmy Butler can compensate for those weaknesses that those other guys can't. And knowing seeing, like, Carl Anthony Towns, like, threatening Minnesota, saying he wants out, like, what if have you proven? Well, I think he's going to stick around now that his buddy D'Angelo's there. And he he yeah. better, otherwise yeah. he's handcuffed that team to Definitely. D'Angelo Ruffle, who's a fine player. But when you start making accommodation for guys who probably don't want to be there, right. clearly can't win without sufficient help, right. and are going to the press whenever there's a problem, like that's not a winning culture. And Pat Riley created that, and that's why the Heat are going to be walking into uh, free agency with 33 million in cap, a max space, a nice young core, and Pat Riley with uh, with fingers full of rings that you can flash at whoever winks at him. The only thing is, there's no one with mutt that's coming off the books that you can give that money to this year. So he might have yeah, to hold. Dire. Yeah, he might have to hold that until next year when you know who comes comes available. And I, I suspect he will. I can see him filling in some spaces and running it back, but I don't think he's going to saddle up a whole bunch of money for, for really any of these guys. You know who I, the fact that all the top echelon guys are dudes with player options. You know who I would love for Miami to get this offseason at a, at a minimal contract? Ooh. Boogie. Ooh. You back up, bam, I can use you. Boogie. I'd like that. Right? Oh, my God. I, he, he, he and Jimmy would actually get along with each other. He might pull, watch. Jimmy might pull something out of Boogie. Jimmy might pull something out of Boogie. And I think Pat Riley is the type of guy Boogie would respect. Definitely. Do you ever watch Boogie, I mean not Boogie, Jokic and Mike Malone's offense and then just think about yes. Boogie? Yes, I, I always think about Boogie when I see Jokic. I always think about Boogie. Oh my God, it's 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 a damn shame. Yes, and hopefully there's still something left out of Boogie because I think he's got uh, hopefully some more basketball in him. But it's a real what if. Hey, I would love to see him in Miami. We're going Boogie to Miami. Do it. <laughs> let's do it. Hey, um, do you want to see? So okay, let's switch over to Lakers Denver real quick. And you and I were okay. talking about this earlier. So is that that series? I think is pretty much over. I think so, but I think the Nuggets might have another win left in them. Okay, okay. I, th- I think the cake is baked. I think the Lakers have uh, exploited some poor conditioning on the Nuggets' part, uh, particularly with Jokic. I think they've gotten into the uh, gotten into their heads. Dwight Howard, I think right now, oh, well, other than Davis, obviously, is, is the MVP of this series yes, just because is. of how he has destroyed uh, Jokic's mindset heading into the game. 
but I think clearly the Lakers have demonstrated they're the deeper team that's that's more ready to play. But they're showing some weakness still here. Dwight Howard started the game. He had 12 points, 11 rebounds in 23 minutes. And I think we, we had this on the last episode. I, I said Dwight Howard is going to make his money in this in this series. And he has he, he's not proving me wrong. And I just love what I'm seeing from Dwight Howard. I was not a Dwight Howard fan whatsoever. Ever. Maybe the first two years in Orlando, I was a Dwight Howard fan when he went and when he went to the finals. But um, but Houston, Charlotte, Washington, um, first Lakers. I did was not a fan of Dwight until this year, until this bubble. <laughs> well, I, I like to think he's humbled himself. Yes. Um, I think the failure, the adversity. The realizing that you can't make fart jokes if you're Baron Nelson for six years and expect to win a title. Right. Um, I, I think uh, getting into this Lakers culture with LeBron James, like you're not going to pull this crap with LeBron James in the locker room. It's as simple as that. Simple as that. And you're not going to pull it with Rajon Rondo in the locker room either. Right. right. Um, and I think it's it's clearly you're, we're watching it right now. We're watching the revitalization of Dwight Howard who is playing essentially like Dennis Rodman did Yes. in those later years when Rodman didn't have the athleticism, but he still had the work ethic. He is bullying Jokic and drawing Jokic out of the game onto the bench, and then they're just picking apart poor Mason Plumlee. Oh, yeah. Oh, I feel definitely. terrible for Plumlee because he, he doesn't deserve what's happening to him. And the dude's only playing 14 minutes a night, but none of it's looking good. And it's all a testament to the adjustments Vogel has made and to the adjustments Dwight Howard has made in his mindset and game. You know, I think, and and I don't know why I keep going back to this, but I think it it all kind of goes back to what these vets are seeing, how Chris Paul and now Jimmy Butler, how they're engaging with these young, um, um, the young group around them. Like Chris Paul has rebranded himself as a, a leader, you know, Jimmy Butler doesn't look crazy now. And uh-huh. and I think Dwight Howard is around the right situation. I think these these old vets are going to start pulling these young players under their wing and saying, hey, follow me. I'll, I'll make you better. And we're going to win together. And I think Dwight Howard, he is a vet playing next to it. I think the culture as well has kind of changed his mindset as well. I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, I think so too. I think it took him a while to grow up. Yes, definitely. Uh, and and he finally has, and hopefully that kind of wears off on guys like Kuzma, who still looks like he doesn't have his head in the game. Yeah, guys Kuzma like still Kuzma wants to party. Who kind of takes himself out of games at times. Like, the dude expects himself to get these calls that LeBron's getting, and it's like, you're Alex Caruso. Like, right. put your head down, keep playing hard, and you're impressing us when you can, but stop whining all the time. So... The people who are following LeBron James's example and just quietly putting in the work are the people who are going to take the Lakers into the NBA Finals. Yep, I'm agreeing with you. I think that that goose is cooked. Um, game five is tonight, so I think it's done. Um, here's what I think about Caruso. He does expect fouls like he's LeBron, but I think it's a mentality. Like, hey, we're the Lakers. We, we are expected to be this way. And I think that Dwight is like, I've been there, done that, so it doesn't go to his head as much. Caruso, it's his first time there, so he's kind of like, you know what? Heck yeah, I'm going to embrace this. I think Cal Kuzma, though, 
he needs to reel it in a little bit. He's a little Hollywood still. Um, yeah. and, and he just, I mean, imagine, you know, any young, yeah, any young player going to a big city like that and how it, you know, kind of changes you. You know, you can go Allen Iverson in Philly as opposed to Kobe Bryant in L.A. So I think that Kuzma might get it together sooner than later. I think he went through his phase. I think he was able to to get a year um, with Kobe and now LeBron. And I think the year without, after Kobe retired, I think Kuzma thought he was just that dude. And now I think LeBron is kind of bringing him back down to earth. Like, hey, you want to be successful? Let's do it this way. Yeah, I think so, too. I think the year with... Lonzo and Ingham and Josh Hart really set his game back right? because it convinced himself um, that he was the go-to guy. And uh, when you're called on to be the go-to guy in a 19-win team situation, then then fine. Take your shots, but don't be shooting 12 times a game when those shots could be going to Cantavius Caldwell-Pope and, uh, and Anthony Davis and then expect to be treated with a certain dignity by the refs that you haven't truly earned. Not the year with Kobe. The year I was talking about with Lonzo and those guys. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I meant. Um, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that D'Angelo Russell is now going to take something up on himself with Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota. I think some of these, and he's not considered a vet to me yet, but I think some of the things that transpire and have, have transpired, tragedy and, and pandemics and, and bubbles and all that, I think a lot of, I hope I'm going to say that, but I think as well, if I was a betting man, I would bet that a lot of the guys that you didn't think were, were or you, that you thought were knuckleheads, they're going to really step their game up, a la the, the Boogie Cousins of the world going forward. And not that Boogie has a lot of game left, but who knows? I mean, I, mean, I hope you're right. I think, if anything, these last couple months have shown us is that the world is bigger than basketball. Right. And there's a certain level of expectations for how you're supposed to carry yourself now. But at the same time, I do feel like we probably said this about Westbrook a couple of years, right? Yeah. Like that this is finally the year he works on what he needs to work on and becomes the player we all expect him to be. And I think every once in a while, there's just going to be a guy that relies so hard on what he believes is his God-given talent that he doesn't put the work on, on, on the stuff of the game that matters. And I like to think guys like Kuzma and Carl Anthony Towns and Russell have the support system around them that will instill those qualities, but it's it's a curveball. It definitely is, definitely is. So, do you think Pat Riley wants a piece of LeBron in the finals? Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I want to. <laughs> there's nothing. Uh, there's nothing Pat Riley would want more. I mean, within a day of LeBron bouncing from Miami, Riley was running his mouth. Yes, I... that's what Pat Riley does, and I think if anybody thinks that he's figured out what makes LeBron tick, it's Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra. Definitely. And that's why I think we're going to see a lot of people, let's assume that the Heat beat the Celtics, which right. is not a safe assumption, right. who write the Heat off. And I think that would be a profound mistake. Definitely. Definitely. Would be Yes, definitely. Who does, does Dwayne, is Dwayne Wade more loyal to the Heat or LeBron James? I mean... You gotta hope the Heat. If you're a Heat fan, otherwise that guy's a lot more mercenary than you yeah. than you'd ever hope. But uh, I guess it's, it's tough. I guess it's the same thing as Magic as Lakers than Pat Riley. I I, I think so, right? Yeah. I mean, 
<laughs> everything that Dwayne Wade became is is due to Miami. Definitely. So so you would hope that he values that kind of uh, loyalty more than he does friendship. But who's to say? I've I've I've. I've learned not to truly trust Dwayne Wade to make the most rational decisions, but it generally works in his favor. Yeah, because you may see him walking in with an Anthony Davis number three jersey on and be like, what the heck are you doing? I mean, I mean, it wouldn't shock me. <laughs> it would It would Nothing not shock, would shock me. me of him. Yes, definitely. Um, it, I guess we'll see that. I, I think I'm calling it Lakers heat. I think so too, because I think the Heat have another game in them where they just catch fire from three, and the Celtics. I I, I mean, obviously, if if that's if we started from where we are right now in Game One, it's a complete different question. But the Celtics dug themselves a hole that they might not be able to get out of. Definitely. And should the Heat put them away, Heat Lakers, you have Jimmy Butler who's going to demand to be put on LeBron James at all time. Yes. You've got. Andre Iguodala, who, if he has anything left in him, he knows how to play those guys. Yeah, definitely. He, he's been playing those dudes for years. He's definitely. played Danny Green. He's played LeBron James. He, he'll he'll give as good as he gets, you know? And then I really expect we'll see people like Tyler Harrow and Duncan Robinson just savor this opportunity. I don't and, know if, if JaVale or Dwight gets much love in that game because I don't see uh, – I see Miami staying with their lineup and thus making Anthony Davis go to the five. That's what I think. I, it's, it's tough. I think Anthony Davis is going to eat no matter what happens. Yeah. And I think if Bam, uh, Bam is healthy, which is now a, a right. question mark, he will do what he can to limit Anthony Davis, but it's still going to take a lot out of him. And then you're going to have Dwight Howard, um, what, chasing Duncan Robinson off screens? <laughs> Maybe getting trying to get a little more out of Kelly Olenek to Spolstra and Howard's still chasing Olenek. Like it's oh. an exhausting proposition. Yeah, that's... these he aren't deep, but they're young and they're energetic. And what we're seeing with the Lakers is that they're being ground down by Jamal Murray. And there's a whole there's there's not a lot of Jamal Murrays on the Heat, but there's guys with that kind of mentality, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And LeBron is quietly like he's still putting in work but he just looks tired and we're seeing what appears to be lebron last legs lebron right right now and if the heat sense weakness there and try to put the onus on lebron while double teaming davis and then what danny green's got nothing cantavius caldwell pope like he's so sporadic it'll be a series of matchups that i'm really interested in seeing play out don't be surprised at the Lakers making a deal um, before they re- when when Anthony Davis opts out that they go get someone else because LeBron is not I don't want to say last leg but Le- LeBron needs to kind of like shift the gear down you know and but someone needs to be trusted on to to pick up that slack I know I said Demar Derozan back to Toronto what if he went to, back home to the Lakers he'd feel a need for scoring that the rest of these aren't guys are. Feeling and LeBron could I, slow down. I agreed, but I do feel like you've got a lot of weird personalities on this team yeah, as it is. Do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> and Demar Derozan, like he's not a shy guy, right? He's humbled himself, but if you're still putting him in a situation with guys like Javale McGee, Avery Bradley, Marcus Mar- Markeith Morris, assuming they resign him, 
Rondo, Dion Waiters. Oh. Like, it's an interesting... Frank Vogel's walking such a fine line, you know? Yeah, that's definitely true. I could see... I don't know if, if the Lakers have the money to be able to go get a Chris Paul because of the amount of money that he makes, but... That would be insane too. I don't. The Lakers are gonna do something this off season that people are gonna be like, "What? How did they do that?" And they're gonna be able to do something. You sent me a text earlier about Denver. About Denver, they have the twenty second pick, and you said, "Would you trade back from Denver's twenty second to Sacramento for thirty five and forty three? And your thinking was uh, cost saving and second round development. I, I'm right there with you because that twenty second pick. He's going to want to play. Yeah. And sorry, buddy, we got to deal with Michael Porter Jr. and Bo Bo. We got to get their head of you on the, the totem pole. So you got to wait for a little bit. Um, moving back, but Denver doesn't have a G League team, which concerns me, which they need to. But I'm always for, hey, trading that late first rounder for two second rounds because they're pretty much the same guy anyway. You're just getting two of them. Yes. And you're basically trading one lottery ticket for two, right? Yeah, that's what you're doing. And you gotta like those odds. Yeah, I like them. Look at all the second I, round picks that are in this mock draft. Like you said, Azabuki and Isaiah Stewart and and uh, Peyton Pritchard and and Trey Jones. You can get you a nice big end guard in the second round and develop those guys. I think so. what I'm thinking with the with the Nuggets, what we're seeing particularly with these Plumlee minutes. You need a guy that can give you approximately 15 to 20% of what Jokic can give you when he goes to the bench. Yep. And it's not happening. Ideally, let's say you have a whole bunch of money that the Nuggets don't have. Maybe you send give Marcus Gasol a call, but they're capped out. Right. That's, that's not going to work. Right. So what do you do? And in my mind, you either consolidate some two-for-one contracts, guys like Gary Harris... Uh, and Will Barton, who are fantastic role players, but maybe you can save some money, clear like $37 million for two players, pick up maybe $10 million for one guy and give you that. Otherwise, I think what you've got to do is you've got to trust your scouts, and I think the Nuggets truly have a tremendous scouting development team, to get some of these guys in the latter half of this bench to hopefully give you some wing depth and a facsimile of, uh, of Jokic. And where I landed right now was um, Killian Tilly from Gonzaga, mm. who is a bit of a project, but has all of the skills that the Nuggets need to be able to run an offense through him when uh, when the guards are on the bench and Jokic is on the bench. And then a guy like Robert Woodward from, uh, I want to say Mississippi State, who is a 3 and D guy, long-range projection guy, but once again, he is not a ball stopper. He moves the ball around. He's got the body body potential to fill out, put some strength on. But once again, just be a cog in this Denver team. Because I don't think Denver's looking for stars right now. I think they're good. I think they're looking for guys that can stop the bleeding when their stars go to the bench. And by trading back, uh, I think it's a perfect opportunity to do that. I think when I look at Denver and if they keep that team intact, they have a pretty nice five unit, I'm going to replace Jeremy Grant with Michael Porter Jr. Or I may keep Grant in and move on from Millsap and put Michael Porter up there at the next to uh, with, with the Joker. I need a backup point guard for Jamal Murray, and I need a backup big, like you said. Um, mm-hmm. Peyton Pritchard, I love that kid out of Oregon. 
Trey Jones. You need one of those type of point guards that will can give you a good solid 15 minutes when Murray needs a breather or or when you want to just move Murray off the ball for a little bit. And and a and a point guard that can play meaningful minutes. So that's why Trey Jones, you you know, Duke is Duke. So I, I'm going to go I'm going to roll with that just until they prove me wrong. Um and Peyton Pritchard as well who I think is a a poor man's Jay Will, Jay Jason Williams. Um and then you go big, Alexi or Alexi or Azabuki, one of those two bigs. More Alexi because you can p- kind of put him under Joker's wing and kind of show him this is what we need you to be. <laughs> and you trade that 22nd pick for two second round picks and you scoop those two guys up. And that's what you do maybe for the next year or two because you're set. You got to run your offense through Murray, Joker and Michael Porter Jr. You have to going forward you know and Gary Harris is content being that fourth option not a problem at all but you still need some bench help and Bo Bo is going to come in there soon and probably be your starting four oh, yeah. you know what I mean so you got to get guys behind them to continue to be just as young as them pushing them because they don't want to lose their spots and that's how you keep a team flowing yeah particularly a team this young yes um, and I love the culture they, they've created, and I love the signs they're showing, and I really think like we're going to be talking about this team for three to four years, uh, similar to how we talked about the Oklahoma City teams. Right. Uh, right now they're having their, oh my God, Durant's amazing, Westbrook's really good, and what about this Harden guy year? Yep. And if they uh, supplement the roster, I think they're they're just going to do great, and I have no doubt they will. I love their brain trust. I love their coaching staff. Like, kudos to them. But what I'm thinking with uh, Denver right now is refining on the edges. You let Millsap and Plumley walk. You gain 40, 40 minutes a night and about $40 million, which, infor- which not unfortunately. I mean, that money is going to Jamal Murray's extension. Right. Which is kicking in. Right. You have Grant's bird rights. You traded a first-round pick for him. He's guaranteed. Maybe you uh, just let Tory Craig walk because he's restricted and that gives you money, but there's no guarantee you find another Tory Craig to give you 10 to 12 minutes a night. So if you're Denver right now, I think you are just freeing up the room to give uh, Michael Porter 30 minutes a night and Burberg at least 15 and then then just letting the chips fall what they may and allowing on um, internal development, which I think will come. I think Murray and Jokic might be basically tapped out, which is fine. They're tremendous players. Maybe if Jokic gets in a little better condition, you can rely on a little more than him. But I think they are the players that they are right now, and that's fine. They're fantastic. But if you rely on that internal development and a guy like Michael Porter to become the third option, uh, I see no problem with that. None whatsoever. I have a, a, a trade for you. All right. Bradley Beal to Denver. For Gary Harris and Michael Porter Jr. Okay. And now the three-headed monster in Denver is Joker, Bill, Murray. I think I think Murray and, and Jokic respect Bradley Bill. I don't think they. I don't see. I think they're they're kind of just mushing Michael Porter Jr. Like get in your lane, and I understand that. I think you get Michael Porter Jr. out of out of Denver into DC, not to have his own team, quote unquote. But okay, let's see what you do now. You're you're the option, and I think John Wall kind of takes Michael Porter Jr., Rui Hachimura, 
Gary Harris and the, and whatever pick they have under his wing and kind of do the Chris Paul and OKC thing. I mean, I, I, I like it. Like, I think any time you put <laughs> you get Bradley B, Beal in a, in a different situation than Washington is a win. And obviously the salaries work out. You actually gain about six million of cap room with the Wizards. Which is which is really ideal for them, yes. especially because I told you right now I think we're we're approaching Michael Porter, not necessarily guaranteed superstar status, but we're talking like top twenty five. I just like what I'm seeing from him. Definitely, um, he's not going to play third role. He's not going to play the third role in Denver too much longer, though, Sean. You know it's that. It's true. It's true. But I do wonder if are we going to look at this not not in this Beal configuration right now because I think Beal's something special. Yes. But could this be their James Harden trade? This could in be their couple, this could be their Monte Ellis trade. Maybe right in a couple of years we're like yeah. I mean we we let's say we won fifty five games next year, but boy Michael Porter Porter's putting up twenty five and ten efficiently right now when you've got Bradley Beal on on one ankle, you know right. Um, and I think my thing is if I'm the Nuggets, do I need to do this trade? No, we're not will I, today. Will you will don't. I be, will I be in the same situation? And if I get a little more defense and a little more playmaking, while not sacrificing future assets, can I win probably just as much as I'm winning right now? Because I think what we're seeing the Lakers exploit right now is the Nuggets' youth, their lack of second chance uh, rebounding effort, and. Uh, some defensive limitations, which are glaring now that Will Barton can't play at all. Here's the thing, though, Sean. Three yeah. alphas, three alphas are not going to work on Denver. And and I, so maybe not this year, 2020. Maybe not even 2021. But in 2022, if Michael Porter Jr. projects to to be who I think he's going to be, Jamal Murray and Joker are still young. And. Yeah, it's kind of it might be the James Harden thing because James Harden, as we know him, was not going to be able to play with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook at all. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, and 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 what that did was bring a Stephen Adams who didn't demand a ball. James Harden was not going to be coming off the bench for long, much longer in yes. in OKC. You know, and Westbrook's personality and Durant's personality. Durant probably would have been able to take a backseat to Harden and not care so much. But Westbrook at that time, I mean, it's working good now. But at that time, I don't think was was mentally ready to do that either. You know, so I think Michael Porter Jr. and Gary Harris, I think he's a phenomenal player. He can fill the role of Brad Bill to an extent, you know, 70 percent or so. Um but I think that Michael Porter Jr. is not going to be a problem because it's not going to be a problem. He's just going to, hey, I need more of this. When we've already seen it a couple weeks ago when he said it in the press conference. So you think that that's going to stop or start the more you see his dad on the sidelines? <laughs> um, it's true, right? I mean, you're hoping that you can get maybe two years out of Michael, Michael Porter before he realizes he's that much better than everybody else. Right. Right, right, and and it's true. It's 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 a tough situation, but at the same time, a good situation with Denver. Yeah, definitely. But but I want to throw you a curveball here. All right. Let's say we take the basic package of that Bradley Beal trade. Yeah. What about Ben Simmons? What about Gary Harris, Michael Porter, for Ben Simmons, and maybe maybe you offer to trade to offer to 
get Harris and Horford and you have to work out contracts. But what if you're allowing, uh, letting Jamal basically work off ball a little bit more? You've solved a lot of height issues. You've solved a lot of defensive issues. And does Ben Simmons fill in some spots for the Nuggets while allowing the 76ers to have a little bit of breathing room and give who I think, I think Mike D'Antoni is going there, Mike D'Antoni, a beautiful toy and Michael Porter Jr. to play with. Here's my only thing. I already, you already have a Ben Simmons in, in Jokic. <laughs> I, there's yeah, there's I mean, certainly think, think, a lot of redundancy there, yes. right? But is that a terrible thing if with Ben Simmons, you, you're getting a guy who rebounds like... I understand. Can you imagine that two-man game the, if, if they're working together, right? So when I see Jokic grabbing a rebound and bringing the ball up, from underneath their own court or from underneath the other team's court and, and starting the offense, I don't see Ben Simmons standing there watching him. It's true. You know, so, and that's part of Denver's offense. Okay, Jamal Murray come around the screen. Jokic gives him this pass of, of Jeremy Grant um, um, slashing. That's what Ben Simmons does. So you kind of take Joker out of the offensive game if you bring Ben Simmons in. I do wonder, though, um, does this – allow them to have a plausible second unit mm. if, they're, if they're staggering minutes and letting Ben Simmons basically oscill, uh, oscillate between about um, four positions a night I think it does lend some flexibility obviously there's some redundancy there I do have faith that Mike Malone could figure something out oh, of course of course I, I do I do just wonder if if you have him there, because what do I always say, right? Why not have a guy who can do a couple things very well instead of just once? And I think we're starting to underestimate Ben Simmons and the fact that he hasn't developed the shot. And yes, it's infuriating that he doesn't appear to want to take the big shots when they matter. But at the same time, you still have a guy who can run the floor, still have a guy who can block, defend, and distribute. And I think putting him in a free-flowing situation in Denver where there's a little bit of, um, of overlap there, mm-hmm. but still letting him fill in for the stuff that guys like Monte Morris and P.J. Jozier and, and Mason Blumley, the minutes and qualities that they can't fill. And that's what we're saying about Denver right now, right? The Lakers are eating them up for those 25 to 30 minutes a night where Jokic and Murray cannot play. And letting Ben Simmons run a second unit there, not a terrible idea. I mean, it's a heck of a lot of money to invest in a second unit leader, but I think it would be fun. <laughs> it would be fun I, basketball. I, I could see that. I, I I like Ben's finding his way out west somehow, even if it's to Sacramento for Buddy Hield and, and Bagley or something. Um, you know, you still have to find something to do with Al Horford, you know. Um, either because Tobias, I think, plays better with MB than Al Horford does. But what about Ben Simmons to the Warriors for that number two pick and and, and a Wiggins? I, I could see it. I, I once again find myself in a situation where if I'm any other NBA team, I feel like Golden State's playing me. Yeah, of course they like, are. <laughs> do I? I don't want to do them favors. Yeah. But maybe people are less vindictive than me, you know, and are and are willing to allow that to happen. Well, so if, the only team that that because that number two pick, let's just say it's Lamelo Ball, 
right? Okay. The Knicks would love him. Um, Chicago would love him. You know, but the Warriors, like you said, there's somebody else that they're not even talking about. So someone's going to want LaMelo Ball, and they're going to want to play with the Warriors. And the Warriors aren't going to just take kindly to that. Yes, you can have LaMelo Ball, but what are you giving us? Exactly. Like, there are teams that when they call me, I assume have an ulterior motive. Of course, they all do. <laughs> <laughs> Most of them do, right? Yeah. With, They're not, hey, let me make your team better. I'm sure they start <laughs> the trade. You know yeah. for sure, right? With Daryl Morey, you know for sure. Right. With Sam Presti, you know for sure. Right. They're trying to pull a fast one on me. Danny Ainge, definitely. Danny Ainge, too. Like, yeah. do, do I want to be the guy who gave, uh, yeah. <laughs> who gave, uh, Let's say uh, Jokic and Gary Harris for Doug McDermott. Do I <laughs> exactly. want to be that guy? Who was the GM who traded uh, Kobe for Vladi? I want to know that guy's name. Oh my God! Uh, I have. I actually do have the name. It's one of those guys that we respect, and he was. Oh yeah, definitely. Situation, but <laughs> I, I can't remember who. I, I. I'll get back to you. But yeah, so I, I, I really think that that you have to. When if if someone calls me or if someone says I have uh, Danny Ainge on line one, I'm not answering the phone. Tell exactly. him, tell him I'm I'm, I'm not here. Because <laughs> when you're talking to him, he's got one hand behind his back with his fingers crossed. You know, <laughs> definitely, definitely. And uh, so so let's say I think I think the smoke suggests I don't think the Warriors want anything to do with number two right now. Right. It's like the Marshawn, Marshawn Brooks, Dylan Brooks. No, you said Marshawn. No, you said Dylan. <laughs> exactly. I, I think I think we're hearing a lot of smoke. I think I think Kerr would like to coach a guy like Denny. Yeah. But I don't think he's 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 salivating over the option of having to develop a guy when he's got a team that's capped over with a core that's over 31 years old. Yeah, that's why I see Toppin going there because he can run with those guys and he's he's old at 22. <laughs> oh god could you imagine that oh. uh, that curry topping uh pick and roll oh come on come shades on. of nash amari come on come on <laughs> i see it and he runs uh, and i think that'd be ridiculous yeah, but definitely. once again you are then relying on clay thompson and draymond green not to have stepped back defensively right but at the same time like obviously i trust that brain trust to to fill out the rasta however they can so Wiggins and number two, I do believe will be picked. I, yes. I will be sh- will be shelved, not yes. shelved, traded. Yeah, just gotta it's just find a matter out of who's gonna bite their tongue and say, "Okay, the Warriors clearly think they're gonna pull a fast one on me." But at the same time, like, would you do that? For, would you do this. that for Paul George? I mean, I would do basically anything to get rid of Paul George right now. Well, I'm saying from a Warrior side, um, Wiggins and number two. Think of this. Paul George is now your third option behind Stephen Clay. Absolutely. From the Clippers perspective, I do that immediately. Yes. For the Thunder. For the Warriors. I think I do it too, frankly. You mean for the Warriors? Yeah. I mean, sorry, the Warriors. Yeah. Uh, I think I would because I think Paul George um, needs a more defined system than what Doc Rivers has. Right. And I think as being the guy who can assume that Harrison Barnes role. Yeah. In that Steve Kerr system, I think it would be um, great for him. Um, and Ooh. I think with the Clippers, it gives you $6 million worth of cap room. Gives you a guy with Wiggins who is going to defer at this point, I think, to um, to Leonard, which is great. 
Um, but what, what about this? Oh, I just thought on. of one. Paul George to Sacramento for Harrison Barnes and because uh, you got to get some contracts, and Harrison actually would work with Kawhi. Who do we throw in there with him? Buddy Hill? Is that too much? I mean, if I'm if I'm the Clippers, I want Buddy Hill. Yeah, you want Buddy Hill. Is that uh, too un- much though? Barnes and Hill is too much for Paul George. Uh, I think so. Yeah. So then, what do you, do you want? A couple picks, or do you take back a? Uh, make them take a big salary off you off your hands. Barnes is the salary that you want them to take. <laughs> Frankly, that's right. Like I forgot, Jabari's only making six and a half. Yeah. That's not terrible. Maybe it's Barnes in number eight for Paul George. If you're, I mean, at this point, if you're Sacramento, I don't think you can rely on free agency pitches anymore. Right, you have to trade um, for him and have him locked up. I mean, your most successful free agency pitch was getting Zach Levine to agree to a contract that we knew was going to get matched. Definitely. And he knew it more than anybody. So I think at this point, you do what Toronto did of Kawhi Leonard yep. and gamble on a guy coming in, giving your franchise some juice, and maybe he walks away after a year. But hey, at least he got 55 wins right. and have allowed these younger players, De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley, to get a little more uh, formative experience yeah. than they're getting right now. Some exposure as well, because they got to get beat up in the playoffs. Like Phoenix, I think the bubble helped the Suns so much that next year they, they better do something. You got to get beat up. You got to punch, get punched in the mouth a few times before you can stand up to the bullies. And I think they need to have Luke Walton get punched in the mouth a little more. Yes, definitely. And Because I don't think Luke, Luke Walton's a joke. I, I don't think he is. I think we've written him off, and I think he was put in a terrible situation by Divacha and that uh, that brain trust, yeah. who gave up on Malone too early, yeah. who gave up on Jorger too early, uh, on Jaeger too early. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Luke, and Luke Walton found himself in a in a real bad, real bad spot. But I, I think Luke, I think he needs to be forced into a situation to make adjustments that he has not made in the regular season, and there needs to be a full evaluation on paper about what kind of coach he is when there's expectations. When you hesitate, like you get your your little second wind, and I'm like, did he stop? No, he didn't. Did he stop? No, he didn't. No, I, I got it now. No, 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 I got it now. It's just a <gasps> second wind. <gasps> I, I used to be a writer, you know, yeah. so I was used to writing all those essays in college where I'm like, it's going to be more impressive if I make this like six pages longer but say nothing. <laughs> right, triple space. <laughs> it's triple space. That's what that is. Bingo. Yeah. Um, I think Luke Walton. Yeah, he was put into a, a situation that he just had to just do with the best he can do. And I think this will be a uh, definitely a different experience for him. I just Absolutely. hope Bagley can stay healthy. I need Bagley to get one year of health behind his belt. And they got to figure out what to do with Buddy Hill because Luke benched him for bogey. And it seems, I mean, Bagley doesn't want that. So you almost have to get him out of there. And I think they're regretting that Harrison Barnes contract already. And I, I understood it when they did it. Yeah. Because it's what, it's what we're talking about, right? You're yeah. not getting a free agency. It's yeah. the same deal with when the Bulls struck out on the big three and, and gave all that money to Carlos Boozer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's revisionist history to say that they shouldn't have done it because when you can get a guy with that kind of claim who admittedly has a lot of weakness in his games, you do it. Yeah. And I think that's the situation Sacramento found themselves in. Yeah. And, yeah, it sucks. It hasn't really worked out, but – you got Harrison Barnes to come to Sacramento. Like, right. come on, it's a win. It's a win. It's a win. Um, I think that uh, 
this draft, um, New York Post put out some new draft, um, mock drafts for the NBA. Yeah, I, I, I'm liking, you know, I, I like what they, you know, kind of put out there. They still got your, your, your guy, Denny, going to Chicago. I know you you want that. I do, but I got to be honest with you, especially now that Billy Donovan's there, I'm talking myself a little bit into Killian Hayes. Because mm. what was what did Oklahoma City discover worked the best? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, it's having a point guard in Chris Paul. Yeah. But it was getting these three point guard lineups out there to just run, run havoc on people. And I see a situation where you're running Killian Hayes, mm-hmm. Kobe White, mm-hmm. and Zach Levine in as a one, two, three. And just letting them go. And just let them let him ride. Yeah, definitely. And I think we'll learn a lot about Killian Hayes with this weird combine they're doing. Um, just in terms of how he looks. He's clearly put on strength from the videos I've watched. But I want to know that he can work a little bit more with his right hand than he is um, just being left, uh, left-handed right, dominant. Right. And if that's the case, I think he might be that pick at four. But right now, I also I'm, I have stars in my eyes about Denny as well. I, I know you do. Definitely. I have stars in my eyes about uh, Onyike Okongwu. I love that dude. They have him uh, pegged really to Atlanta. Oh, yeah, they have him pegged to Atlanta. And I, I, Atlanta, this is the last lottery season for the Hawks. And they better, they missed, I don't want to say they missed on Cam Reddish, Tyler Hero. I won't say that. But they can make up for it with this pick. And they, I'd either get a shooter or a Kongwu. And Nesmith or, or, or Devin Vassell, one of those two, or a Kongwu, and I'm, and I'm ready to go. I, I think, I, what interests me, I, I think so too. I think with Atlanta, like you said, it's a put up or shut up year. And you're going to see the onus on Trey Young, especially, to prove that he's not just a stats guy. Right. And unfortunately, with Trey Young, I think he's going to have a Devin Booker like situation mm. that's going to haunt him for about six years until he's put in a situation where where he has the right people behind him or the right, you know, just 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 the right situation. Let's say. But that team, uh, so, that team is not bad at all, though. It's it's not bad at all. But the problem is, it's got a lot of redundant parts. And it's got a lot of guys that you've invested so much in that you don't want to give up. And that's a tough situation for a GM, right? Right. Because let's say I give up Cam Reddish or I give up Kevin uh, Huerder. Yeah. And then those dudes, are, that dude becomes the next Duncan Robinson. Exactly. Like, what am, oh, I feel like crap. Yeah. So it's all about evaluating your talent. And same thing with John Collins. And is a, is a great fit, right? But once again, he's just another nice young in a piece that has so many nice young pieces. Right. Because they got to figure out what they're going to do with John Collins once his uh, free agency hits as well. And do you do oh, you yeah. give him $30 million a year? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you've, you've given a guy who um, is a one-way player right now, but that one thing he does is score at will. Right. And that's great, but you have a couple of those dudes. Right. So we'll, we'll see the work he puts in. What I'm most interested about that draft is I think we're going to have a stretch around pick 10 to 18 – where we're going three and D crazy. Yep. And we're relying on these players to take logical step, next steps that might not come. Right. Well, they're they're going to be looking for a lot of Jason Tatum, Jalen Browns in these uh, 10 to 18s. And there's a lot of them there, but I'm using those names. That's what they're hoping. They're going to hope. Okay. One of those two, one of those five or six will make it, though, I think. Exactly. I mean, we're relying on Isaac Okoro. And Devin Vessel, right, and Sadiq Bay, yeah. and maybe even Patrick Williams, yeah. to do what we th- 
do what we saw Kawhi Leonard do, right? right. He comes in, and you're going to say, okay, this guy's locked on defender 50 minutes a night, but if he develops a shot, dot, dot, dot. Right. And that's a huge question mark, and one of these guys is going to get one of these dudes, put him in the right system, yep. and voila. You know who that so, team You know who that team's going to be. Oh, it's the Spurs, right? I was just, the, the San Antonio Spurs. <laughs> and it's the Spurs, and one of these dudes is going to drop down to the Celtics, and oh, they're yeah. going to find themselves with... With another great situation. Oh yeah, R.J. Hampton. Watch. <laughs> I just feel like if I'm if I'm the Wizards or the Suns or the Kings, do I feel comfortable that I have the mechanism in place? No. For one of these guys to make that next step. So the thing with me is, I think Phoenix and Washington. I think Sacramento now with the moves that they just made. I think all three of those teams know that this is an important draft. And they can find them that that diamond in the rough, or they can completely bomb it. So I think you gotta just—you can't just throw them in a hat and pick one. You gotta go for best player available and the best three and D player available, because this is the league that's going from that six six to six eight guy who can shoot and play defense. Um, and this—you you might have to. You might just have to just bite the bullet and do it. I think you do, and I think you need to be prepared to, whether it's hiring a couple more player development coaches or just making it very clear that we're working on this kid, this kid's yep. project. Like, yep. Don't jump down his throat if he's not immediately a superstar. It's all about the right situation. You have to throw them in the G League. You, they have to, you have to, okay, so the, the, the leagues interact. Or they interject at the same time. But it's only 50 games in the G League. So you're going to play your first 20 here on our bench. You're not going to get any run on our bench. You know, then you're going to play 50 games in the G League. And once the G League season is over, right after All-Star break, you're going to be good to go. And you can come sit on our bench for the rest of the year. And we'll we'll plug you in when we can. But Um, you're doing the whole year in the G League. Exactly. We give you the bull-bull treatment. Yes. Go, Go in, bulk up, learn. Yep. So for me, what my emphasis on, and we've talked about this, is I like the skill sets he's flashing. My guy in this draft right now is Tyrese Halliburton. Mm, I like him. Uh, There's nothing that that dude doesn't do but flash. Right. But when you're watching him, that is the most workmanlike basketball player I've seen in quite some time. A little bit of Darren Collison in his game, you know? A mm-hmm. little bit of actually Monte Morris from the Iowa State system. Yeah. This is a guy who is so incredibly competent at basketball that he is going to going to help a team immediately. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And if I see somebody, like, being like, hey, like, I want RJ Hampton. I want Trey Jones. Like, I, I want I want um, Tyrell Terry. Like, I'm going to understand what they see in those guys but not understand what a team doesn't see in Tyrese Halliburton. Exactly. Exactly. I get it. I get it. Hey, Sean, thanks again, man, for, for coming out, hanging out with us again. I know you had the long drive cross country. Um, I appreciate you, brother. Um, we're going to do this again after these uh, next couple of games once the finals start. I mean, it's it's been a pleasure. Let's let's talk soon. I think we both agree we're, we're probably going to be sitting on this situation with – the Lakers just waiting to see uh, who stumbles out of that Celtics heat series. So, uh, fun times ahead. Thanks, Sean. I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Always a pleasure. All Bye right. Now. Thanks again to Sean for coming in, uh, spending some time with us today. Um, one other thing before I go, 
I want to give a shout out to Atlanta Falcons tight end Hayden Hurst, as well as Dallas Cowboy quarterback Dak Prescott. Um, as as some of you know, that Dak Prescott died by suicide earlier this year, and he was been very open. Um, about talking about his mental health, anxiety, depression, and things of that sort. After Dallas beat Atlanta um, last Sunday, um, Hayden Hurst, who has his own, um, you know, who's always been open about his attempt on suicide and, and dealing with anxiety and depression, you know, had, you know, he sought out Dak Prescott after the game pretty much to kind of bond with him because of, of some comments made by Skip Bayless about uh, a Dak Prescott and talking about his mental health. And I just wanted to, you know, um, just shoot, you know, give give thoughts that those, you know, if you're dealing with some type of anxiety, depression, mental disorder, I'm, I'm loving seeing that these men are talking about it. It's been so taboo to, to not talk about those things. You know, Hayden Hurst, you know, uncle killed himself, a cousin killed himself, and then he had his own things with addiction and suicide. And the, and the fact that these football players are talking about that, I hope that it gives other people the, the strength and the courage to be able to talk about the things that they are going through. Um, but besides that, y'all, be safe. Keep loving each, each other. Love yourselves. And wash your hands. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.